Last week we started a new message series and we began by looking at how God manages his strong-willed children. And the image on the screen was picked for this week's message about the ruled life we live, but this pouty-faced child certainly fits the description of a a strong-willed child, doesn't it? We all agreed that God has a bunch of strong-willed children running around on earth, and I shared that there have been an estimated 108 billion members of the human race born ever. And that's a lot of free-willed, independent thinkers that would generally prefer to have control over everything than to concede control over anything. Right? And I count ourselves among those. And I tell you, it sure humbles me when I start to whine about my four strong-willed children, because God's got his handful. Last week, I shared the advice and counsel of professional psychologists who advise that there are several things that can be done to help manage strong-willed children. First, use positive reinforcement. Remember, God loves to lavish us with blessings. He'd much rather catch you doing something right and honor you for your obedience than to watch you struggle with sin, anxiety, or fear. And in this morning's Bible study, we talked about God's positive reinforcement You know, versus this negative reinforcement. Do we do things out of fear for him or out of love for him? The second thing they advise is to pick your battles. And I said, don't be fooled. God sees everything you say, think, or do. And don't trick yourself into believing because you weren't immediately struck with a bolt of lightning from heaven when you messed up that you got away with anything or there won't be consequences at some point. The third thing they advise is to walk the walk, to set an example. Now God sent his son to live and walk among us. He also was our example of how to live and act, but not just how we behave, but how also to live and act in response to others. Because sometimes isn't that the hard part of life? Not that what we're doing, but all the stuff going on and how we respond to that. We learn to walk the walk by studying Jesus' life and teachings, and then we apply these to our own lives. And finally, they, uh, they advise when dealing with strong wilder children that you give them choices. This was the main premise of last week's message, which I titled, Would You Rather? And I began with this question, Would You Rather? And, um, and we, we took a fun look at some of the choices of the people in the room at the time, but I concluded with these questions. I'm going to start with them now. God asks... Would you rather trust him or try it on your own and be responsible for choices you make? Would you rather worry about everything that you can't control or would, would you worry about nothing because you know that he is in control? Would you rather have an eternity in heaven or experience just a few periods of superficial pleasure now? And would you rather believe that this is all that there is or rest in his promise that he has a purpose for you that will bring you blessings, comfort, joy, and peace? And that choice is ours to make. And in the words of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now Joshua certainly had some experience with strong-willed children as he assisted Moses in leading the Israelites. For 40 years they wandered through the wilderness. That's 40 years. And sometimes this path they took, it turned away from their destination. And sometimes it actually circled back on itself. The people were weary and restless, and if they had no idea if tomorrow would be the day they finally reached their destination, or if they had a hundred more years to go. And like so many of the good things that God has planned for us, his plan and certainly his timing are not always revealed to us. Along this trip that we call the Exodus, several prominent things happened, and the culmination of this journey was their preparedness for the promised land. It was at a point near Mount Sinai that one of the most widely known events of the Bible occurred. And I'm going to read this from Exodus 19, and this is the message, which is a paraphrase. It says, On the third day at daybreak, there were loud claps of thunder, flashes of lightning, a thick cloud covering the mountain, 
and an ear-piercing trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp shuddered in fear. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at attention at the base of the mountain. Mount Sinai was all smoke because God had come down on it as fire. Smoke poured from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain shuddered in huge spasms. The trumpet blast grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered in thunder. God descended to the peak, to the peak of Mount Sinai. God called Moses up to the peak and Moses climbed up. And God told him, go down and then bring Aaron back up with you. But make sure that the priests and the people don't break through and come up to God. Thus he breaks out against them. So Moses went down to the people. Now I'm going to pick up in Exodus 20, but from the NIV this time. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. These are the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of your Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in it, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And these next ones get really short and succinct. Not a lot of room for ambiguity. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And it says, you shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Then when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Now I want to take a quick look at the wording of these commandments, particularly the choice to say you shall not instead of you should not. Should is used to express advisability. And although it is advisable that we not break the commandments, God was not leaving any room for ambiguity. This is a firm, clear, and concise construction. These are rules to live by. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. It's not just that we should not do these things, we shall not. And shall, according to the dictionary, says it, it, it denotes a requirement. It's mandatory. And by doing so, there is no deviation. And this word implies an obligation. And that was an interesting word we had in this morning's Bible study. Scripture says you're obligated. And we talked about what that meant and what that field like, felt like. Besides, if we use words like obligated or if God just simply came out and said, don't do this, 
surely his strong-willed children would give him one of these looks, like this screen, right? Don't tell us what to do. But the requirements come because they are God's rules for our own safety and to help us maintain a good, upright, and obedient life. Think of them as loving limits to protect us. The obligation comes because this was a covenant promise between God and man. Deuteronomy 11.8 says, You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess. This is a fulfillment of God's promise to deliver them from captivity into a holy land of their own. Do these things and you will be blessed. Joshua describes it this way in 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. And that's great news, right? If you follow God's rules, your way will be made prosperous, and you will find success. But remember, this is according to God's definition of success, which may look different than yours, but is so much better. And with that kind of impact hanging in the balance, aren't you glad you have an actual list of clear, concise rules with no ambiguity? There's no gray area to, you know, thou shalt not do this. That is what you should not do. And how important is comfort to know that God is unchanging? Scripture tells us God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. The rules do not change. Can you imagine what life would be like if the one making rules constantly changed them just to suit their whims? It'd be this moving target. We'd never know if we're, if we're hitting it or doing it right or doing it well, and our salvation hangs in the balance. But let's pause and have a fun look at what life would be like if someone else set the rules and they changed constantly. Heather, would you click the video? Strikes out. That's right. If you look at the ball past me between my knees and my titties, 
It's not a strike, it's a, it's a, it's a non-strike. You throw me four non-strikes, I didn't expect it in the first place without letting him hit it. <sighs> All right, are you ready? Ben Olsen gets me in the first place, as well. That is not how the rules of baseball came about, but, <laughs> but you can see, you can see that how complicated life gets and how easy it would be to win whatever win looks like if you're trying to chase changing rules. Okay, so we are blessed to have a God that not only spelled them out literally, but hasn't changed them. And this perfect Father we have in heaven offers, in heaven offers a choice for strong-willed children. We talked about this last week. You have a choice. Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28. He says, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God when I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you to go after other gods that you have not known. The choice is yours to make. But the blessings are also yours to redeem. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be beloved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself in him. But the consequences of this choice are also just as real. Deuteronomy 8, 11, he says, take care, this warning, he says, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Now, it's easy for us to say, I would never, like Peter, the disciple Peter said, I would never deny you. I would never turn away from you. I would never betray you. But this says, if you do not keep his commandments, you're forgetting the Lord, and then that turning away. Do you see how easy it is for us to fall in this trap of, of turning away from a God that loves you and is always there with you and wants you to remain at his side? Now, there are a few reasons why obedience to God is important. First, obedience is an act of worship. The Bible places a strong emphasis on obedience, but remember that you are not made righteous by obedience. 
Salvation is a free gift of God, and we can do nothing to merit it. True Christian obedience comes from the heart of gratitude for the grace that we have received. And we've already talked about this. God rewards obedience. We read in the Bible that God blesses and rewards obedience. And through the, your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. This is a promise dating all the way back to Genesis. And in Exodus, he says, Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. Don't you want to be God's special treasure? Obedience to God proves our love and our faith. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. It's from 1 John. And love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. It's from 2 John. And when we obey God, we show our trust and faith in him. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar, and they're not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This, that is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's 1 John. And lastly, obedience is better than sacrifice. God wants your obedience. We saw that in, in their message earlier that we are called to set aside, or we talked about this morning actually, to set aside our offerings if we need to go get right with God before we offer our burnt offerings. Because he'd rather rather have your obedience to his commandments than your stuff. Because obedience is its own form of worship. This is from 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 23. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? And he says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So because you rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now to this point, we've been mostly focusing on Old Testament stories of the Ten Commandments. So what is Jesus' role in all this? From his own words in Matthew 5, 17, 19. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then this is in accordance to the law itself. Because Deuteronomy says, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Jesus also came and he taught the commandments from Luke 18.20. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. So even in the Sermon on the Mount, which we started studying this morning, all the things that he spoke about as he got into murder and jealousy and divorce and lying... He starts by saying, you've heard it said. He didn't claim any new words. He took the Old Testament scripture, the law, and he said, you've heard it said this, and he explains it further in greater detail. In obedience, like many of our other aspects of our faith, it requires an action. We talked about this process and cycle of faith during the most recent message series. And Jesus often spoke about this and the importance of faith follow-through. He said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. 
Obeying it is an action. You hear it and you obey it. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And pastor and author Andy Stanley explains it this way. It's one thing to know a lot about weightlifting and another thing to actually lift weights. It's one thing to know a lot about nutrition and another thing to eat healthy. Similarly, it's one thing to know a lot about the Bible and another thing to actually live out what it teaches. That's why Christian life isn't just about knowledge. It's when our acts of faith intersect with God's faithfulness that our faith grows. From Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish builders, we discover that hearing and learning are not enough. The value is in the application, because in the end it's the obedience that makes all the difference. And did you know that genuine obedience and submission to the rule of life sets you free? John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now how can this be? How can you be free when you're, when you're subject to rules? Because we know the loving limits that God has set for us. We know what they are, we understand them. And they're limits to keep us safe and living in an upright life. Limits which we are free to live our lives as we choose within the boundaries that God has set for us. Knowing these rules and living by them free us of the worry of sin. Psalm 119.11, the psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart. And why has he done this? That I might not sin against you. I know your word. I know your commandments. I know your expectations. And because I know them, I am free to do as I want within this limits. And I know that I will not sin. Now, Scripture tells us that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But he also came to teach the law through his words and through his example. He often took advantage of opportunities to provide greater explanation. And one such example can be found in Matthew 22, 36 and 40. His disciples had asked him a question. They said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And he often used parables to teach a lesson. I'm going to read one, the rich and the kingdom of God. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus answered, Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And the man asked, Which ones? Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father and love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said, All these I've kept. What do I still lack? So Jesus said, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So it's interesting. He had done all the commandments, so why did he have to do one more thing? It was because his heart wasn't in following the commandments. To him, it may have been more like a checklist. I didn't do this, I didn't do this, and I didn't do this. I don't know that God would have asked him to give up everything if he had also shown generosity along the way. God knew that there was one thing that this man was really not doing in obedience, and that was having another God before him, all of his stuff. And he's kind of saying, it's not the matter that you gave everything away, although we are to give to the poor. It was that you are honoring this God, and if you, if you continue to honor this God, then you're breaking the very first commandment. 
So go show that, that you love God more than stuff. And the man just shook his head in sadness and walked away. He couldn't do it. Now, I'd like to think at some point in his life, maybe he did. And on the occasion of his last moments with all disciples, he said these words, and these are words to live by. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This new commandment isn't meant to replace the original law, but to expand on it. So think of it this way. If we act in love towards everyone, God, others, ourselves, don't forget yourself, we will be obedient in all other commandments. You can't love God and worship another God. You can't love someone and truly and commit adultery against them. You can't love yourself but covet someone else's life. So when living the rule of life seems like a game of whack-a-mole, I want to encourage you to not give up. Continue the good fight for what is right. And also, above all else, focus on loving God and others. And don't forget to love yourself. Friends, don't consider yourself constrained by your ruled life. You are a child of God, conceding only what was not yours to control or worry about anyway. In exchange, you will be blessed for an eternity for your obedience. Because the ruled life is a good one. Let's pray. Father God, ten simple rules written by your own hand. Ten rules to live by, not to constrain us, not to inhibit us, but to lovingly protect us from ourselves and from the world. God, we ask your guidance. We ask for your conviction in our hearts to know when we're getting into a gray area with one of these, whether we're coveting something that someone else has or whether we're inclined to be dishonest or if we're not honoring to another person. God, we ask your forgiveness because we are, after all, imperfect. We thank you for the gift of your son who not only came to teach and fulfill the law, but also to set an example of what upright living looks like. And God, beyond that, we thank you for his sacrifice an atonement for our sin that says when we mess up, when we break these laws, when we're not obedient to you, we can come and we can come to you and say, God, I'm sorry, I've, I've failed in this area. Help me to do it right next time. And God, no matter how many times we do that, as long as we continue to repent, we know that we are forgiven. But God, help us to continue on this journey to become more faithful, more Christ-like, more upright, more obedient in everything we do. God, we accept the challenge of these commandments. And we even accept the challenge that was issued earlier during our prayer time to go out and do acts of kindness. Help the people that are here this morning, those that are listening to this message online, God, help them to do something radically good this week in your name. God, let us leave here. Let us stop listening to this message changed for what we've heard, for what we've learned from you. God, let us change our perspective, not to these are rules that confine us, but God, these are rules that set us free so that we can live a perfect life with you in heaven for an eternity. As always, I want to thank you for this building, all that provide for it, all that have supported it over the years and going into the future the beautiful land, flowers that, that surround it, the safe, 
warm, inviting place that it is. And God, I always want to thank you for the empty places in the pews, the reminder that they serve, that there's room for more. Let us always be willing to share our story and your story with those in need. Amen.